No traffic, no complaints, no noise. Traders, troublemakers, and ambassadors all tucked snugly in their little beds. I love this time of night. There is no night in deep space, and time is a meaningless concept when you stop to think about it. As the galaxy prepares for war. Call this whole thing off while there's still time. Babylon 5 prepares for its new mission. Operation Sudden Death. It's a death trap. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Out there in podcast land, welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. We are a group of newbies and first ones who are watching every single episode of Babylon 5, and we are to season two. The episode is Gropos. We are going to be discussing with our newbies their first impressions and discussing the episode in detail, and then we will get their questions and predictions, eject them out the airlock and talk spoilers that come after Gropos, which they have not seen any episode after that. I am Scott, and with me is... Emily. Justin. Mike. Jesse. Mike. Andrew. And John. And before we get going, just a reminder to everyone to please make sure you click the links down below. We have our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all have active social media groups that are really involved in chatting. We actually had some really good posts on Facebook in the past couple of days where folks have just been really going the detail about the episodes and how they feel, which has been great for a conversation. And I actually have a Twitter poll going right now that's going to end before this episode drops. But I will point out based on our conversation last week that I asked if Veer is innocent or culpable in what happened in The Coming of Shadows. And 56.6% of you said that Veer is innocent. And 56.6% of you are incorrect. Correct. So we'll see where that poll ends here as it ends tomorrow. I also ask that you do put in reviews if you can on your podcast app of choice, or also make sure you hit that like and subscribe and follow and any other buttons that may be in front of you that are positive. Hit those buttons. We did get another uh, review in to Apple. This comes from New Zealand from Belbicat and is enjoying group of uh, enjoyable group of frenemies question mark i am enjoying this podcast surprisingly when at first i wondered why i'm listening to non-sci-fi and ultra skeptics bagging on my favorite show i remember my own intro to the show was basically my older brother tying me to the chair then i started finding entertainment and a modern audience getting smacked in the face by the stuff even that can't deny is great from 30 year old show i'm just thankful the newbies are all still watching and paying attention and now we get to the best parts coming in the shadows rubs hands together excitedly so thank you belba cat and thank you to our listeners in new zealand and also thank you to our listeners in italy and finland who made us the number one tv review podcast this month so thank you very much we'll go ahead and get into gropos and justin i believe you have a synopsis for us I do. 
So what had happened was Justin was proven right from the last episode, and the EA is taking advantage of the Narn Centauri conflict by moving into the Actor system to intervene in the Civil War there. So B5 has to deal with 25,000 soldiers temporarily stationed there. General Franklin is reunited with his son, our own Dr. Franklin, who engaged in a classic father-son conflict that will have you singing Cats in the Cradle by the end of the episode. Meanwhile, Garibaldi meets a new love interest in Dodger who who, spoiler alert, doesn't actually dodge all that well on the battlefield. Overall, the galaxy's mobilizing, and the costs of war are already becoming very real on Babylon 5. All Dodger wanted was to get laid. That's all she wanted. Good job. <sighs> okay, let's go ahead and dive in to our first impressions from our newbies, and we'll go to Emily first. First impressions on Gropos. Um, I liked it. I actually thought it was a pretty decent episode. Um, there are absolutely parts that made me want to scream, but you know, politics, but yeah, overall, I, I actually really liked it. Justin, uh, you already gave us some of your first impressions in your synopsis, but continue, sir. Honestly, I didn't think it was all that bad of an episode. I was mostly interested to kind of see the more army side of the Earth Force, and we got to see a little bit of that. You can kind of feel the coming con, you know, the coming conflict kind of the winds of war starting to blow and you're kind of feeling that all across the whole battle station. Yeah, I mean, the the discussion between Franklin and his father, the general, are it's really nothing new out of a classic father-son conflict, especially in dealing with military terms, um, how the son's always trying to live up to the father and he always has the whole time, you know. But uh, I, overall, I really didn't think it was terrible. I kind of thought the battle the battle scene had a very Terminator-esque feel uh, to me, especially in terms of the graphics. I honestly didn't know what Gropo meant until like a couple of days later when I actually I think I talked to either um, John or Kevin about it. So and it just never clicked with me that it was Ground Pounder. But yeah, that's pretty much what I thought. It was, it was good, but it wasn't great. I didn't hate it. Such a rave review. We're going to put that yeah. on the poster. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Not great. wasn't great. I didn't hate, I didn't hate it. it. Two stars. <laughs> Jesse, what do you got? Those are my words. You can't say I didn't hate it, but I didn't hate it. Um, I actually, <laughs> I actually enjoyed this episode. Um, it was, it was fun. And I thought we were going to see Garibaldi show us his first favorite thing, but we didn't get to see that either. So it was, I don't know. It was good. I didn't, I, from how everybody else talked about it, I thought it was going to be the worst and, um, it wasn't. So I've seen worse. So it was Dodger, I guess. <laughs> oh, da, da, da. RIP Dodger. <laughs> Justice for Dodger. Do Justice for Dodger. <laughs> Andrew, first impressions. Yeah, so I didn't hate it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was like, it, it was definitely a step down since our previous episode was The Coming of Shadows, but I still thought it was a good episode. I thought it was a great character episode for Dr. Franklin. So I'm curious to see if John is now off the hate train for him. Yeah, it all, uh, I like that we're starting to see a glimpse into the horrors of what war might look like of with Babylon 5, now that we know that at least two wars are coming. So, yeah. John, now that our reviewer has just said they are extremely happy that everyone is on board with the show, tell me how you felt about Gropos. Why you got to set me up like that? Why do you know what's about to come and you got to set me up like that? Listen, let me give a big preface. This episode was bound to, to fail just because of what it came after. So there was almost no way it was going to live up to the episode we just saw. Having said that, it somehow managed to be even shittier than I expected. And literally the first time I watched this, I was 
visibly angry at how much I hated this episode. Shockingly, it was not because of Franklin. Franklin's storyline, to be fair, I thought is something that is almost never covered in mainstream pop culture. So when they cover the military, they almost always do the schlocky shit we saw in all the rest of the episode. Everybody's got PTSD. Everybody, it was the word that it burns me up so much. The military children never gets looked at as an angle. And so that part I actually wish would have been better and more of the episode because between that and the spouses it's the part of the military that gets so easily thrown away and has so much bigger of an impact. than I think people realize the Oh, by the way, I'm an MMA fighter with haircuts out of regs. And I just like to suck and fucking move around. And like, look, there's a kernel of truth to that. I've known some people in my 10 years in the army. However, this felt so Jean-Claude Van Damme 90s over the top stereotypical shit that it just annoyed me to no end. I feel like we all did not watch the same episode. I definitely did not feel like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was awful. (laughs) So, John, they didn't teach you how to do high kicks when you were in the military? Shockingly enough, you know, our combatives classes were not like movie stunt classes where it was like, you know, check this cool move out. It was much more practical than that. Your your immediate go-to wasn't to swing from a chandelier? (laughs) (laughs) No, shockingly, none of those things were my go-to, nor since people mentioned the title of the episode, in the 10 years I was in the army, not once did I hear a group of soldiers, airmen, leathernecks, you know, the Marines. I've never heard someone refer to themselves by their own nickname more than any time in this episode. The way, the amount of times I call themselves Gropos graded on me every time they said it. But I'll say this since it's first impression and I'll wait until we really lay into it. So I'm sorry from New Zealand. I promise the next good episode, if we get back to the type of writing, acting and storytelling that we got in Shadows, I'll be back on board with this show. I apologize, John, because I don't, you know, have your military experience or anything like that. But if if they would have had Arlie Ermey be the sergeant major in this episode, it would have been a top 10 episode for me in the show. The guy was doing his best impression of Arlie Ermey. He was, but it's just, it's not the same. It would have made it a little more believable, but. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But first I got to hear from my first ones, Mike, first impressions on Gropos. I didn't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) The episode. I I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we should preface this by every one of the newbies except John started their, their pitch with, I didn't hate it. And it's because most of the first ones, if not all of us have just been ragging on this episode since the last time we recorded. So we may have tainted the well ever so slightly, but you know, I I'll say this, I went into it um, not really remembering a whole heck of a lot because it's not an impactful episode. There are some sweet character moments. I agree with pretty much everything John said. The the best part of the story was also the smallest part of the story, unfortunately. And everything else uh, was buried under mountains of cheese. So there you go. Blake, you're up. God damn it. You know how much I hate agreeing with John, right? <laughs> you know how fucking crazy this makes me when I have to agree with John and watch his little dance in the bottom corner of my screen <laughs> that someone agrees with him. But I don't like this episode. I will say the Franklin storyline with his father is probably like the one redeeming part of this episode, but overall, I'm just not a big fan of it. It it's a take it or leave it within the season. But when I'm looking at this, you know, Johnny, you mentioned, you know, the over the top Jean-Claude Van Damme nineties era thing. If I want to watch something that involves racist, bigoted, xenophobic earth troops going off to an alien world for a mission, I'm just going to turn on starship troopers. It's a better use of my time than this piece of shit. That's it. 
My goodness. My goodness. You know, yeah, you guys were absolutely ragging on Gropos, and I've said a couple times, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's another Larry Dottilio episode, and it's actually the second to last Larry Dottilio rep- written episode we're going to get. And what I love about Larry's episodes, even though he's wrote some stinkers, including TKO, is he always gets more into the characters than what we usually get. We get to see Franklin, which I, I'm looking forward to talking about because I think uh, we learned a bit of real reason why Franklin's God complex exists in this episode. But we also got to see Sheridan and Ivanova really kind of deal with just the pressures of command. They weren't in the episode much, but they were dealing with it well. We got to see Garibaldi, and for once, Garibaldi literally was not chasing Tail. He was getting chased. And I thought that was nice and different. So I do appreciate that in these episodes. I think um, because Kevin's not here this week to talk about the actors, I will. Uh, Paul Winfield, who plays General Franklin, is a great actor. And he does a great job in this, playing the father figure and the general. And I do enjoy, and I do not have a military background, although I am a son of a Marine, so I have watched many a Marine flick and heard many Marine stories. So whenever you have Marines in there, and these were the Earth Force Marines, uh, I do appreciate that. And yeah, I, is this the coming of shadows? No. Is it all alone in the night, which is the episode we get next week? No, it's not. But is it a bad episode? Absolutely not. I enjoy it. I liked watching it again. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys and seeing why John and Blake are wrong. So let's dive into the episode. I think let's go ahead. And since we have, you know, again, an A plot and a B plot, let's talk about Franklin and General Franklin, the Franklins. Uh, first. John. Well, I can see where Franklin gets his dickishness from. Um, so that was enlightening to see his dad come on and immediately without uh, even before he said uh, his name was Franklin. I was like, mm, I bet this is Franklin's dad because they have <laughs> the same vibe that uh, that basically like, oh, I run shit. And like, you know, if you don't agree with me too bad, I'm still going to do what I want. So um, it was a little more enlightening there. Um, again, the, the feeling of, um, you know, having to not only just live up to a parent who has excelled in their given field, but since his given field is a warfighter, to be gone so often and to have the threat of being an orphan hanging over your head so often, that was the part of the episode again that I thought was great and could have been even more powerful had it not had to deal with all the other nonsense and bullshit. If they could have just laid in and, and sat in that storyline more and developed it more, um, you know, a, a different version of this script might actually have me coming back from hating Franklin a little bit, a little bit less. Unfortunately, I don't think they did enough. I mean, I will say, as I said at the top, I think um, he and his dad, this, that storyline was the best part of the episode. Um, but even with that, there was still some smarminess from Franklin that uh, in character. So I'm not, I'm not going to knock it for that. It's just, you know, I still just don't really like the guy, but I, I understand him a little bit more now. Andrew. I was going to say counterpoint, but you already kind of touched on understanding him a little more. I was going to say uh, that like, I don't blame Dr. Franklin for being so smug now with this episode. Cause like throughout this series so far, we've seen he, he kind of has this uh, like he has to be right all the time kind of mentality. Uh, but now it makes a little more sense because we find out about like how much of a hard ass his dad is. Uh, John, uh, at least he's not xenophobic. True, true. <laughs> at least I did write that down. The xenophobe thing, um, he does have that going for him. So at least he's not a full dick like his dad. Blake. I don't know if it was intentionally written this way, but there was also what felt like a bit of resentment from Franklin's dad uh, towards Franklin. And some of that is, you know, 
I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this, but, you know, being in a position where you have succeeded beyond, you know, in your own field, doing your own thing, not necessarily following in your parents' footsteps. And, and there being maybe some resentment at that success or having found a different path that didn't involve going the same way. And, you know, that turbulent relationship, I think that really showed up well in the dynamic. You're right. Paul Winfield is a great actor. I He absolutely nailed the role with that and made that, you know, come through loud and clear. I want to kind of go back to what Justin said in his first impressions about how we see these episodes a lot and has kind of wrote the whole dad and father thing. But I think it's played rather well and a little different than we usually get it yeah we usually get the whole the father and son don't get along but as you guys have already mentioned there's a dynamic there not the usual well dad just doesn't like me because i did something else with my job it really is a dynamic that is deeper than that and i also and blake to your point with the with uh General Franklin being a little bit upset with Dr. Franklin, the fact that his son flat out said you're a murderer was a little rough. It's interesting. Also, we get a little bit more backstory on Franklin and the fact that, as we've kind of heard before, he spent time during the Mimbari War making, uh, doing research that would help with biological warfare. So Franklin's got a little bit of a dark past as well, too. He also learned that he doesn't call his mother and he's a bad son. So talking about this dynamic with, you know, fathers and sons, and we've talked about this, but not in a while. We have not actually brought up JMS's book in a while. But anyone who's read that, the dynamic that he had with his father, and I mean, there's a reason the guy can't have kids is because he flat out said he his family name was dying with him. Um, and his father was very much involved with unsavory characters, Nazi movement and everything else. So, you know, at one point there was even a story where his father made him wear his old Nazi youth jacket that they had made for him. So there's pieces in there that you see throughout the series. And this is definitely, I think, one of those points, even though Dottilio wrote the episode, you see these pieces from JMS's life appearing within the story and in the way the characters relate with each other within their relationships with their families and others. So really, I think if you haven't read that book, and I know our newbies, you can't, sorry, read it in a year and a half. But for others, you know, check out that book and read that. And it will definitely give you a lens and a perspective on this series. I stand behind what I've said before on it. I think it is the best autobiography I've ever read. And I had a degree in history, so I've had to read a lot of autobiographies. It's a really good one. So you should check it out. It's called Becoming Superman. And I recommend the audiobook because it is read by our good friend Peter. And just listening to Londo talk about JMS for several hours is cathartic. Okay, let's go ahead and move over to the Gropos. And I will include in this both the general Gropos as well as our good friend Dodger. So anyone want to chat about those? Did yeah. anyone know they weren't going to make it as soon as like she started pursuing Garibaldi? Because like it just, he wasn't going to be able to have a relationship, at least not at this point, maybe not ever in this series. I don't know. But as soon as like they start getting close, I'm like, well, she's dead. I will add to that though, Emily, because I agree with you, but isn't that the point? Wasn't the point of watching this episode, at least for me, knowing that we're meeting these characters, knowing they're going off to die, mm -hmm. we're told over and over again yep. that this, I mean, Sheridan flat out says this is a suicide mission. Yeah, so. and I I ragged a lot on Sheridan last episode for being a straight up dick, but I, I give him props for telling the general, yeah, this is a terrible decision and it's a death trap and you shouldn't be doing it. So John, what do you got? Yeah, Emily, on that point, as soon as the uh, shorter, younger guy was like, oh, this is my first mission. I've never seen oh, any yeah. action. It's like, all right, well, that guy's got his head blown off. Like the, the poor guy who, you know, they first start and it was like, 
oh, let's do a dick measuring contest. Who are you? Who are you? We're going to be best friends. And then probably going to die. I was just actually more surprised that the general didn't die. I thought Franklin's dad was going to bite. I thought the whole platoon, the whole force was going to get wiped out. And, uh, and instead we got maybe some of the more awkward CGI um, uh, shots that I've seen since season one, that that battle was, that was kind of rough to watch if I'm being being honest. I I kept, had to say, look, it's 90. So I let it go, but. There was no way they were going to take the general out. He's too high ranking. Well, but I thought that might throw, so I thought two things, the, just like with the regular soldiers, you know, having a moment or saying something, I thought that just as it seemed like Franklin and his dad, were going to have this understanding, have this moment, like then, okay, that's usually, because again, this episode was just filled with cliche. I thought, oh, that's right. when he's going to die and I'll have the military funeral and Franklin, I have his, his moment, his sadness and, and all the things he thought would happen when he was a kid. And, I mean, I'm glad he didn't die. Like, that's great. But although having said that, him being such a xenophobe, clearly, and being a general and leading the Earth's forces, maybe it would have been better for everyone else if he had kicked it. John, to your point on the uh, the battle scene, that was a 100% CGI, and JMS confirmed that there are no model work, and I, you can tell now, looking mm-hmm. back on it 30 years, there absolutely isn't any model work, but I think for the budget that they had and the technology they had in the 90s, that was cutting edge. Um, remember, we've kind of discussed this before, this, the other big show that's on right now as B5 is airing is Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is getting about $2 million an episode in their budget, Whereas in B5 currently, I believe, is getting four hundred to 500000 per episode. And there was a lot of CGI work in this because most of the Gropos you see in all those, and you can tell, are composited. So they took a little group of people and copied and pasted, copied and pasted, copied and pasted. So there's a lot of effects work in there that, yeah, it doesn't really hold up 30 years ago. But in the 90s, for the money they had and the technology they had, not that bad. Like I said, it's unfair to judge it now compared to what we get. It took me out of it a little bit. I hear you. Justin. I mean, I agree with you, John. Um, I really thought that General Franklin was going to bite the bullet as soon as the general made that comment. Well, when I get back, we'll talk more. And I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. I'm, I'm for one, kind of glad. I hope that we get to see kind of more of him as the war continues um, and see just kind of what ends up happening with General Franklin. But the point that I was going to make is – the rampant xenophobia among the military, I think, is an interesting kind of red flag that got raised for me. And a lot of previous discussions um, that we've had across the entire history of this podcast is, you know, the the xenophobia of rising within Earth and the Home Guard and everything like that. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of supporters for some possible fascist uprising uh, within the Earth government could come from the support of the military. And I think that's going to become very important coming forward. Blake. One to Justin's point, too. I mean, we've even seen that there's been reports issued now within the U.S. military. And boy, are we going to get hate mail for that comment. But, you know, we've seen reports now that have come out of the FBI and other places about uh, the issues of white nationalism, both in law enforcement and in the military, um, and citing that as a major issue. So again, a series that's 30 years old and the parallels that it draws, even still with what we're experiencing and going through in current events, I think is one reason this show is a still got people interested in, in it 30 years later, because you can still draw the parallels and see the relations. But also on the production value piece, uh, and you're right with the CGI, and I think that might be another reason I hate this episode, is they blew so much of the budget on CGI for an episode that didn't really do anything. 
and they actually had to scale back a couple other episodes because of how much they blew the budget with this episode. So to me, it just feels like a throwaway with, you know, Department of Defense style wasteful spending. <laughs> I see what you did there. You know, like, I'm glad you brought up the political nature of things. A couple other podcasts that are talking Babylon 5 now go out of their way to not talk politics, and I respect them for that. And I, we have been dinged a couple times in our reviews and comments about the fact that we don't do that. And I think if we did not get into the political discussions, whether you think it's right, left, center, I don't care, I think it's a disservice to the show because this show absolutely was written as an allegory to many different things that we were experiencing in the 90s, we were experiencing prior to that, and that JMS and others felt that we would be experiencing in the future. And as of 30 years down the road, it seems pretty pro uh, prophetic in some cases. So we're going to continue to talk the political connections. If you have uh, concerns about that, uh, I, I hear you, but that's I feel is a conversation that needs to be had. So we're going to continue to do it. And you can send your hate mail to gray17podcast at gmail.com. John. When, before we start recording, I was like, man, try not to be that guy who's like, oh, I was in the military. So let me just speak blanketly for everything that's in the military, because that's not I hate when people do that. And it's also just, it's just not true. There's just way too many people to, to make blanket statements. But I will say one thing to Blake's point before I say my own, which was, I mean, I saw it while I was in there. You, you, you see, and I have seen some very uncomfortable things. I've heard some people say some, un, some uncomfortable things, but part of it is, you know, we took such a hard swing after Vietnam and now we, you know, valorize all of our military members too much sometimes, right? It's a blanket, like you're a hero. And if you say they're not heroes, you're immediately lambasted. And I always say they're not heroes, they're regular people. Sometimes they do heroic things. And just because they're also regular people, you're going to get a mix of shitty people. There are going to be some shitty people that, that have joined armed forces and do bad things. And there are some shitty people who have in any walk of life, it's a job. It's an all volunteer service. So you get all walks of life and you get all manner of people. Some of them good, some of them bad, lots of it in between. So I will say on that point, send all your hate mail to me. I, I've, let's talk some military stories. Um, but one of the things to step on my little military soapbox real quick, the reason I didn't like the schlocky stuff and the reason that I, I really hate seeing that type of stuff, I know this was 30 years ago, but you know, they people ride on that PTSD and that level of like the hurt, traumatic veteran all the time. And it does a disservice two ways. It disservices those who generally have PTSD because it makes them a caricature and it makes it seem like anytime you want to ask for help, you get painted with that brush and just like, oh God, you're this out of control PTSD person. And then the flip side is it makes it seem like everybody who served has PTSD and everyone's got a problem. And so if everyone's got it, it minimizes those that do need that help to have that level of compassion, which is crazy with this episode because we've, I, we saw it handled somewhat very deftly episodes ago with Garibaldi talking to the are all the people on the lower decks called lurkers? The guy who was having the mental issues, the compassion that Garibaldi showed him, the way they handled that and that type of PTSD. Are they called lurkers? Yeah, most of them are. If you're down there because you don't have work or whatever, then yeah, the homeless population is the lurker population. Okay. The way that they handled that during that episode was fantastic. I mean, we, we talked about it then. And then to have this just super cheesy over the top, just it felt like such a slap in the face just of of uh of a presentation of of the military it, which is crazy i thought um i didn't read jms's biography so don't accuse me of spoilers or looking ahead but i did think because i'm a comics fan i thought didn't he have some military service no uh he did not his background is he started as a journalist 
Yeah, you're right. He he did not have any military service. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he was a journalist, and that took him into creative writing. And also, he really, before he was a journalist, he was writing stage plays. So he was doing a lot of theater stuff, but he never did military service. Oh, okay. I thought I saw, I thought I remember something about him being this. Well, I will say the one thing he did, when he's writing something, he will do meticulous research. Mm-hmm. And it was journalism, yeah. Yeah, so going back to some of his journalism pieces, I mean, the research and the notes this guy will take when he gets into something. So it, it may just well be, even from his comic book pieces, that is just the notes and the research he did to make sure something he wanted to portray as accurately as possible. So one last thing before I give way to Emily, and I hope I'm not stepping on your point, Emily. I'm sad Nicole's not here because I really wanted to hear her talk about the gross, uncomfortable Garibaldi half-sex scene because it was disgusting. I hated every minute of it. It was so awkward and so long so long for not an actual sex scene. Um, I could have done without all of that. I did write in my notes. I was like, oh, I guess he's over Italia pretty quick. And then he finally stops. I was like, oh, wait, I got this girl. And I was like, oh. Oh, God. Seriously? <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna dog on Garibaldi on this scene now. Are we serious? No, the only reason no no. What I'm gonna dog on Garibaldi is just the fact I didn't need to see that. I, that the scene itself was uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, I will say awkward, awkward story. I I uh, was at the gym on the treadmill when I was watching this episode, and I had many people walking past me as that scene was going on. I'm like, can the scene be freaking over, please, please? So I agree <laughs> with you there. But I, I I appreciate the fact that. Again, I already said this. Garibaldi has been chasing tail left and right. This time he didn't. Even when he helped Dodger out the first time, it had nothing to do with her being a female or him interested in her. It was that Delenn came to him on the side and said she was not the cause of the issue. She helped me. So he helped her. And then even when Dodger started flirting with him, he kept on walking. So Garibaldi is uh, not chasing for once, which is interesting. Emily. I actually have two points. And the first one of the reasons I actually like this episode is the ration the rationale behind why Earth Force was doing what it's doing, because it's realistic. Like, oh, someone's having a civil war and they're strategic to us. So we're going to get involved regardless of what it costs, because we want that position and we don't actually give a shit about the politics going on. We want access to that space. It's like, oh, yeah, that yeah, that's pretty accurate. Now, for the second point that will probably get us hate mail is the xenophobia in the military. And it is problematic, absolutely. But how much of it do we actually, I don't want to say require, but how much is needed to convince someone to kill someone else? You have, like, if you're always seeing everyone as like another human being and giving them their humanity, it's going to be harder to kill them. But if you want people to fight in a war, you're going to have to tap in to the darker parts of like humanness. And I think unfortunately that um, may seep out a little farther than they might want it to. I mean, dehumanizing the enemy is nothing new, but not that I'm going to defend xenophobia but i mean i would assume that if and when we find out there's aliens out there and if and when we find out that there's a lot of them and they have tech that is at least as advanced as us if not more advanced i'm gonna guess a lot of people are gonna feel the same way just not not only just okay out of pure hatred some people are just gonna purely hate what they don't agree with exactly but also i mean let's think protecting one's family uh, and the fact that you, you, you as anybody as a human 
you want to protect those you care about and those you're close to. And you have all of these encroaching civilizations, like you have the Vorlons who are nearly gods coming your way. You've got the Centauri who have been around forever, the Membari who literally nearly, I mean, they were on Earth's doorstep. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I mean, again, I'm not ever going to defend Xenophobia, but I can right. understand it. Right. And I think that was one of the interesting parts of this episode, because that part usually gets left out when the military gets covered, because a lot of times when military gets portrayed, it's like action hero type stuff or heroic and the uncomfortable bits of it tend to be ignored because they are uncomfortable. And we don't want to acknowledge that there are issues there. Judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Black Mirror did, as they usually have done, a very excellent episode to Emily's point about dehumanizing the enemy by having them um, have, I don't know if it was goggles, implants, where what they saw, what they, what they wanted to see the enemy, they were these like feral, almost like zombies. And so it made it very easy to be like a video game to kill them. And then it was only after it got taken out, you realized they were just women and children and regular people. And it was like, oh God, what have I done? Um, and the, the second point about that too, um, Emily, is, you know, you see that a lot with the disillusionment of our armed forces with uh, what Afghanistan turned into and then what Iraq was. So to your point, when you volunteer and you're going on a mission, you do have to have some reason for it. it you have to, to put, not just to take someone's life, but to put yours on the line, you have to believe at least something that you're doing is right, or at least that you have some sort of driving force that makes it okay or worth it or you know mm-hmm. something. Um, and so, you know, when that ends up being a lie or, um, you know, uh, a, a separate mission or it changes its tone, um, then you, yeah, you immediately start going, well, you know, why am I, why am I here? You know, why did I put myself in harm's way? Why did my, my buddy not make it home or in home in pieces? And, and so it's to your point, it's, it is a fine line because on the one hand, you have to get a bunch of people to agree to risk their lives and take other people's lives for a mission. And you have to get them to do it wholeheartedly. Scott, you were talking about some good Facebook content and discussions we had. And that was one of the conversations we had about, you know, cause I've said it numerous times about Franklin, how is this man not court-martialed? Like in the military, that's, they don't exactly promote free thinking and, you know, question anything. It's, it's very strict. And you have, you know, the uniform code of military justice, you have a chain of command, everything's very rigorous. If I tell you to do something, there's generally no question about it. Short of it being illegal or unconstitutional, you're expected to do what you're told. Um, and I know we've mentioned it before, like, oh, I was just following orders. And like, yes, again, if your order was to just innocently murder an innocent, then yes, you should ignore that order. But when you start getting the gray areas, it's, it gets a little more uncomfortable. And to your point about like, it gets a little bit dicey. And then groupthink takes over real quick. I've seen uh, a number of field exercises that we've been a part on that, which if you don't know, it's, it's basically, uh, you know, you're training, you're, you're in, in a, uh, an environment that's supposed to simulate perhaps a combat zone or you're running different missions, you're doing things. Anyways, um, I've seen some stuff get, even though it's fake, everyone knows it's fake. I have seen some people get weird and then that influences the group that they're in, especially when people start telling you to do stuff. Um, so yeah, it's again, another part that like, had they, elongated that in the episode, it would have been great to talk about because it's been on the fringes. We've talked about xenophobia. I mean, I thought that whole platoon might as well have just been, what was it? Homefront's personal army or yeah. was it home guard or home front, whatever it was. Home guard. 
Baumgard, yeah. That's, I mean, it seems like they just recruited all those guys. And again, the way they presented it too was just so over the top. When the the guy who kept the old, first of all, that guy looked like he was fifty, <laughs> and it was like a grunt. And the way he kept, you know, he like attacked Delan, he attacked, he just kept going after people. I was like, God, I mean, Jesus, man, be more stereotypical. But um, yeah, and it kind of felt like they all knew they were being lied to about the mission that was might have been adding to some unease underneath all of it like they're already at this station that it's over capacity because they just add like another 10 percent they're being told they're doing like a training exercise or something they all know it's bullshit they know something's up and they're not being told i also kind of took it as like there was an underlying fear but you can't show it you can't show the fear yeah so you gotta project something else i will uh before i wrap up again i will say Again, a Garibaldi. I like to end a little Garibaldi stingers. It made me laugh a lot. So when uh, the general was there and he said, at ease, um, Ivanova and Sinclair went to at ease. Garibaldi put his hands in his pockets. Yes! Which that's hilarious. Uh, I thought that was hilarious, uh, especially, uh, you know, one of the things that, I don't know how many times I've been yelled at throughout my 10 years about having my hands in my pockets, which is a whole other separate tangent I can go on about why you can't have your hands in your pockets in the fucking army. But um, I thought that made me laugh out loud. That was hilarious. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was funny because I was like, hmm. Anybody else have anything they want to add about anything in the episode before we get into the questions, predictions? I mean, my man Lou was in this episode. Always nice to see Lou. So appreciate that. Lou Welch. I love Lou Welch. Lou. And you know what? Lou was being a good man. Garibaldi's like, ah, I'm on duty. And Lou's like, I got you. I got you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, hold on. Is he being a good man or not? Because you just try to give Garibaldi props for not trying to slam ass. He had a way out and Lou threw him under the bus. That's true. But I mean, come on. You you, you could not not laugh at That's the, a solid the second scene. Move, though. Like, eh, we're good. <laughs> You couldn't not laugh at the scene where Garibaldi calls on the comm link and asks if everything's okay. And Lou's like, oh, yeah, people are going to bed. And like one guy gets dragged out. Everybody's going to bed. But meanwhile, Roadhouse is just broken out on this station. And I just kept looking for Swayze. That would have been that would have made the episode. If Swayze would have came out of nowhere with a chair smash. They talked about installing this entire new weapon system because yes. they want to like, use this as like a new base or some sort of like situation. Where did they get these weapons? Like, is this tech they stole? Is this actually like some of that sketchy home guard tech? I mean, General Franklin did actually say in the episode it was the latest from Earth R and D. Yeah. So I mean they're they're yeah. military, they're military. Okay, but we also saw some of the weird stuff from R and D that seemed like it was home guard stuff. So I was wondering the actual source of it. Okay. Again, you have taken the tinfoil hat from Justin. <laughs> And you have put it proudly on your head. We got to pass it around, okay? I mean, and Nicole's not here to do it. I'm just taking her I, spot for this one. I think it's an important conversation point, not maybe so much the who made the weapons, but the fact that B5 is, now a, B5 is now a military inst installation. Yeah. And that was not the intent. I mean, we go back to uh, several episodes, Signs and Portents, and other episodes where B5 was under attack, but had to deal with things differently because it was a station of peace. They had some defensive weapons and they obviously have the star furies, but they don't have a lot to defend themselves with. We saw that in a uh, uh, voice in the wilderness too, 
where they were basically in a standoff because they really couldn't do much of anything. Now they're a military installation. And how does that impact everything moving forward is a good question. That one I'm not going to answer, but it's a yeah, good question. Yeah, because you can make an argument that them having Star Furies aboard the station is as much to help the surrounding system and fight off pirates and things like mm-hmm. that as it is self-defense. Installing big-ass guns on your space station definitely is very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- 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 most of season one was dealt with the Raiders, and that was the whole point of it. Now we can take on a battle cruiser, and what does that mean? So if a Narn cruiser or a Centauri cruiser shows up and the Earth decides to take another side, are we going to have a problem? It's interesting. John, what do you got? Two last things. The first is uh, maybe I should take a cryo sleep and go back and join the military in a couple of centuries because the haircuts they just let them have now in, in the 23rd century is just off the chain. I mean, I wish I could have had that haircut instead of rocking the ridiculousness I had to rock for, for 10 years. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to mention was, is it Keffer or Kiefer? Keffer. Keffer. Which, by the way, Keffer's back. We haven't they seen keep him in a trying while. To, Yeah, they keep trying to jam him into the storyline. I don't know if we'll get a Keffer episode soon, but they are not. It seems like they signed this dude to a contract and they're like, oh, shit, we're paying this guy. We, I, we haven't put him on in a while. Like, go stand in front of the camera and be a part of the lamest part of our episodes. Um, I hope I hope that changes. I hope we get something relatable because so far he's also a dud. He's not Franklin level dud. He's just he's just dud because he's got nothing going on. I did enjoy the interaction with him and Large and the other guy. I forgot the other guy's name because I just remember Large. Wang Wang. It was uh, Yang. It was Yang. Yeah. Yang Yang. Oh my yeah. god. Large Hold and on. Yang. So first of all. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention. I didn't realize that guy's name was Large. It's like they're really not. Yeah. That was his. That was his nickname. He said they call me Large. And again, my favorite line, um, well, is the Lou line. My second favorite line is, "Yeah, let me go get a ladder, and then we'll hash it out." That man. He, yeah. he also had a Gropos tattoo. Like he had Gropos tattooed on his arm. Have you ever seen a Marine? Yeah, dude. Again. They have the they have the globe and anchor a lot. Okay, yeah, but they don't, it doesn't say Leatherneck. They don't have Leatherneck tattooed on their arms. Okay. Dude, I'm just telling you, there's some you, shit. You you are absolutely positively digging for something on that one because, okay. You and I both went to the same school that's mascot. They're called the Leathernecks. Yes, I, I yes. And the only school in the country that's allowed to use that mascot, I'll have you. Right. Anyways. Mike, what do you got? I was just going to say, if John's digging for something, then hand the shovel to me, because I want to ask why both of the commanding officers were carrying riding crops. <laughs> and, how, and how real is that? It, again, uh, that's a cake. He was, <laughs> they were doing their best impression of Arlie Ermey. That's all that was. Like, I'm a drill sergeant. Although I do like the when uh garibaldi is saying by the dodger and the drill sergeant's trying to get dodger to move along and then after dodger goes the drill sergeant looks back at garibaldi and just goes yep listen he's not a drill sergeant he was a first sergeant what first sergeant have i ever seen what is this platoon structure sergeant what, major, sergeant? right i thought he was a first sergeant if he was a sergeant major it's even worse i've never seen a sergeant major. major yeah regardless of his rank he was absolutely acting like a drill sergeant that's all i know <laughs> they also since we're digging i'll take the shovel back mike they also flipped over the chevrons so all, so his rank was upside down it there was a lot that i was just like man this sucks <laughs> andrew tell us about your military knowledge uh i have none <laughs> Good. My, the extent of it is full metal jacket. Oh, that's because that's exactly uh, very much accurate. It was actually. 
Uh, so I've been told. Uh, uh, I, I I only watched the first part. When they get to Vietnam, I just I lose interest in that movie completely. It's like where you get all the the Kubrick themes and. That's why I fucking I, I check out. down Kubrick again. Oh, okay, okay. When it's actually a decent movie, it's fine. As soon as the Kubrick themes come in, I'm out. Oh, sweet baby Jesus! Can we stop with the Kubrick stuff? He started it. Fucking ended. Um, that wasn't me this time, everybody. You're all welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, continue telling us about your stories. Yeah, John uh, mentioned Keffer. I wanted to just bring up, bring this up and satisfy all 12 Sequest fans listening to this. Uh, that whole thing kind of reminded me of the episode where they had to share quarters because I think it wasn't like the air conditioning went out or something. I mean, I know I'm probably the only one who's watched the show, but... Andrew, I watched the whole show, but it was like 1996, so I, I got nothing for you, buddy. Let's go ahead and move into question predictions. I'm sure there's so many for this episode, but questions, predictions about what's going to happen after Gropos. Emily, questions, predictions. I don't have any. This is going to be a very short beyond the rim, isn't it? Jesse, questions, predictions. I uh, want to know why the general whatever the main guy the hit guy why he had to leave the screen when they were doing the interview and then i have no predictions or other questions why he had to leave the screen yeah, yeah like he he's was interviewed he's like i have somewhere else to be and he just walked away because he's a general commanding troops invading a planet i think yeah but they really they were asking for like they were saying that it was done and then all of a sudden they just were like okay i gotta go because it wasn't done. They were lying. I agree with, yeah, I, I agree with Jesse. Something happened. We just don't know what yet. Okay. Andrew, would you like to have the tinfoil hat pass to you now? Uh, I only have one question. Is this the beginning of Dr. Franklin being a more likable character? John shaking his head. Andrew, I'll go ahead and uh, go beyond the rim right now. The answer to that question is nobody. No, it is not. <laughs> I sigh. I, I honestly believe that, and I know several of you disagree with me. Franklin has had two good episodes in a row. He had a very good interaction with Jakar last episode and it showed how he can step up to these ambassadors and try to make change that's positive. And then in this episode, we get a more backstory and realize that he has had a deal with a father who is overbearing, and that may be a cause of some of his godlike complexes. But you guys can still hate on Franklin. That's fine. It's fine. Andrew, you got anything else? I said I have one question. Hmm. Okay, smartass. Any, any predictions while you're at it? No. Okay. John, <laughs> questions, predictions? I said I had one question. John, questions, predictions? Sick. No, no, no. We're sitting right here with Andrew Snark. I'm loving it. <laughs> Um, uh, so I had uh, one of the similar questions I think that Emily asked, and now all of a sudden Andrew's snarkiness threw me off. Now my mind went blank. Emily, you said something earlier, maybe 15, 10 minutes ago, you were asking about something. Earth Force weapons. Oh, yeah. Upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Not that I don't care where it came from, because I'm sure it came from some you know, DARPA type stuff. Uh, my question was, though, now that B5 is weaponized, how is that going to impact both the... Um, Narn Centauri war and then B5's mission as a peacekeeping mission overall. Um, my other question is, Scott, why'd you make me watch this fucking episode? My <laughs> next question is, uh, are there any more stinkers like this uh, I should be on the lookout for? My last question was, I also picked up something that Jesse mentioned. I also thought that while, yes, I'm sure the general should have lots to do, like probably not give a battlefield interview on this version of CNN, the way it was like, 
hey, and then he walked away, I thought was like, oh, something else is going on. Um, but it sounded like from your reaction, no. So uh, my prediction is, I guess that will be nothing, a whole nothing burger. My other prediction is um, that this next episode will be better than this one because it can't hopefully possibly be worse. One way to find out, John. As soon as, we, as soon as we wrap this up, I'm watching this next episode. I've been waiting so long to watch this next episode. <laughs> Justin, questions, predictions? All right. Um, who has my tinfoil hat? Because I need to put that back on for a second. I think everyone's got it on right now. Okay. No, no it's Emily. Um, Emily. <laughs> I, I understand people's hesitancy on having Babylon 5 be weaponized, um, but I actually am kind of glad it is because I think they're probably going to need it pretty soon, just because there's this one scene when they were in the CNC when uh, Ivanova was going over all the upgrades with Sheridan, and he goes, well, let's just hope we don't need to use it. Okay, Sheridan, thanks for that steaming pile of foreshadowing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just like saying, what's the worst that can happen right before something bad really happens? So I have a feeling they're going to need, they're going to be using their new weapon system Probably pretty soon. I think that even though something didn't happen this episode, I think something will happen to General Clark. And we'll see something dramatically change uh, within Dr. Clark, where I kind of foresee him becoming more of an anti-war, you know, activist type person. And that's going to get him in trouble with Earth Force and going to cause some problems for Sheridan down the road. And then really with just from what we saw from this episode it's only going to get worse from here we're going to see a lot more destruction and bloodshed coming forward so that's all i've got for this one somebody gonna die somebody gonna die lots of people lots, lots of people, people gonna goes. die Everybody. i go back to i go back to the techno mage i hear the voices of billions crying out okay we'll go ahead and end it there for the newbies the first ones mike blake and i are going to stick around and talk about all these questions and predictions. It's going to be such a long Beyond the Rim episode. And we will have the newbies return with us next week when we discuss All Alone in the Night. Until then, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Justin. Mike. Essie. Mike. Andrew. And John. Remember to click all those links down below. Uh, hit the like, subscribe, notify, whatever your podcast app has. And join us over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you can go one step further, we do have our Patreon, which also has our Discord. And you can discuss with the hosts, uh, seek quest and conspiracy theories and everything else over on the Discord. So we'll talk to you next week. Adios. All right. See you guys. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth.
Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. For those of you who have not watched Babylon 5 past Gropos or just can't remember because you're old like me, you are going to want to step away now because we are going to be spoiling what comes next, even though there's not much to spoil with this episode. I think uh, next week we'll have a better Beyond the Rim than this week is my guess. So let's go ahead, guys, and dive into the questions that the uh, newbies did have with the first one. Where did Earth get those new weapon systems? So they're just Earths at this point. I mean, it's R&D. Everybody creates and develops new weapons. Now, I I get what they're hinting at. Yes, Earth is definitely playing around with shadow tech at some point, but we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, there's been no inclination of that. Yeah, there's been no inclination of that. So, I mean, ultimately, yeah, there's going to be some interesting, you know, shady shit that they're going to pull out that they have developed from alien tech, from shadow tech, but... Right now, no, this is just standard run-of-the-mill. Earth has been out in space. They had the Earth-Mimbari War. They've interacted with these other races, and I'm sure they have either bought, traded, or brokered technology that they've used to upgrade our own systems or Earth's own systems. So nothing out of the normal here. Not not tinfoil hat yet. We're always looking for new and exciting ways to reach out, meet new races, and then kill them. Yes. (laughs) Now, when the shadow battle cruisers show up that's an oh shit moment but we are well not there yet okay uh, how will b5 being weaponized change the dynamic of the station and its larger purpose we're gonna find that out in season three when it blows a centauri battle cruiser straight to hell yes uh no i think in general i i mean sheridan said it well he's like look this is not our mission and weaponizing us makes us a target more than anything else and general franklin pointed out the counterpoint if this doesn't go well you're going to be the fallback position so we need you armed so at the end of the day I completely understand both sides. Uh, the, that B-5's mission is one of peace, and you don't want to put a big-ass gun on uh, Casablanca. But mm-hmm. also, you have two of the bigger races warring with each other, and so you need to prepare for that. And it's not the first time B-5 has been attacked, and not yeah. to mention, we're on B-5 for a reason. The first four got taken out. So the fact that they already are armed to the teeth is kind of interesting to me. Well, in Voice in the Wilderness, you're you're yes. sitting there above a planet that is armed to the teeth. Yeah, it's got a freaking death ray. Yeah, right? so to think that you wouldn't want to have your station that's orbiting the planet with the death ray to have some kind of weapon system. And I know so many people love me making references to Deep Space Nine, but when Deep Space Nine gets armed up, the show gets so much better. <laughs> I actually put that, in the, I put that in the chat on the way on the message when they asked us. I sent back and said they saw Deep Space Nine open a can of whoop ass and they put in a request for an upgrade. <laughs> I actually I think B five got upgraded well before it, DS9. It, did. it, it was way it happened way sooner. And and here comes the Deep Space Nine copied off B five argument. Yeah. But yeah, th- but in this like, case I, that's what I, say, I love the meme and I think we've shared it in our group. It's the uh, original Enterprise Bridge with Chekhov sitting there and uh, turns around and says, I have a bad feeling about this ship. They have a bigger CGI budget than we do. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any cause for alarm in, in the space station being armed up to defend itself, especially when we've already seen it's encountered not even a, a known threat, but, you know, the other alien race the that is associated with the planet below, they showed up with a big spaceship and had absolutely nothing that they could do to fight it off. Mm-hmm. Um but I think what is even more telling in, in this episode is the fact that not that B5 got arms or new guns mounted to it, but the fact that the US or the Earth Gov 
used B5 as a staging area for an invasion. I mean, yeah, that and, to know, me is the biggest violation of, of of the peace mission. And of course they lied to the one ambassador who asked and said they were relief for IO, which I don't know why IO needs 25,000 troops either, but... Or why they would uh, ship think, them halfway through the universe to B5 yeah, to go that back. that doesn't make much sense at all, does it? Cause, back to soul system again. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess if you don't know where IO is, it makes a little bit more sense. But if you know, but along with that, that I think could have been an interesting conversation point that this episode didn't do. And partly because it spent so much time on our, our two different distinct groups of Gropos. We have the Kefir Gropos and we have Dodger. I think it'd been interesting to see like the League of Non-Aligned Worlds show up, that catfish lady that we saw on Deathwalker show up and start complaining about how they're using B5 as a staging area. I think that would have absolutely been an interesting point to this episode that we didn't get. Yeah, I'd agree to that. So the other question, and uh, as a recovering politician who has dealt with the press, I just have to laugh at this. Why did General Franklin leave the interview abruptly? Because reporters get annoying. That's my answer. Yeah, because he's a general and he's busy and he had he's to attend to, to a situation that was very much not over yet, obviously. And also because, yeah, he doesn't want to be on camera anyway. Yeah, I'm busy invading a planet. Here's the, what you need to know. I'm moving on. Thank you. I get where, I mean, we our newbies are a bunch of conspiracy theorists. I get it. But sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Blake, you got anything else you want to add there? You good? Not after the cigar comment, no. You're welcome. You're going to go smoke one now, aren't you? Mm, maybe. Uh, I mean, and I think at that, there were really no other questions that were, you know, uh, relevant discussion points in this episode. So we can jump right into predictions. And yeah, I mean, I guess the first one, somebody said uh, the military action in this episode, I forgot the name of the planet and the race. So forgive me. It doesn't matter. You'll never hear Ad from them again. Encore. And that's Encore or whatever it was called. Yeah, that's exactly the prediction is that whatever military action happened in this episode isn't relevant going forward and that is 100 percent correct it is not yeah and blake this was your argument against the episode i think last week when we were talking about coming up was that you have a military conflict that really has nothing to do but i mean Mm -hmm. as we've discussed in this episode a lot of times these places don't matter it's all about the preparing and strategically getting ready for what comes next and uh, I'm sure the people of this planet didn't really appreciate getting stomped on. But at the end of the day, that's not the point. The point is we know that the Narn and Centauri conflict sooner or later is going to boil over and we're going to have to pick a side. And we know Earth Alliance will pick a side. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a problem. Yep. And, that's so, it is. and I think my issue with when it doesn't matter is this never comes up again. It's not like this is a forward strategic position that it gets used. When the conflict shows up, it shows up at Babylon 5. That's yeah. where the story is happening. That's where it's all going to take place. So to me, again, it's just a throwaway. I hear you. So, and the other two predictions kind of go hand in hand, and that is B5 is going to use the new weapons, and more warfare and bloodshed are coming. Well, we're in season two of season five, guys. So, um, yeah, there's probably going to be some warfare. That is true. Uh, I think, uh, Blake, you already alluded to it. The B5 is absolutely going to use its newfangled weapons quite a bit. And, um, yeah. Well, you know, just to throw it out there for our fans so that we don't have somebody yell at us that we forgot something. <laughs> and while it was not predicted by one of our newbies, we will see Dodger again. In one of my favorite fifth season episodes, I, yeah. I it gets dogged a little bit. For one, 
um, I happen to be a not a huge fan, but a fan of Penn and Teller, especially their stuff in the 90s. So the fact that we get Penn and Teller on the episode is already fun. But I love the Neil Gaiman ask, aspect of it. And the fact that this is the only episode written by somebody other than JMS once we get past these next few episodes here, basically since we get past Knives, the next time somebody other than JMS writes an episode is Neil Gaiman for Day of the Dead. It's interesting. We get a good Lockley story in there. We get Dodger comes back. Morden visits with Veer, which is always fun. Uh, so that's a fun one. I'm looking forward to, what, two years from now when Dodger shows up and the newbies either completely forget who she was or are shocked that she shows up. We'll see which one it is. I'm and she still doesn't get laid. That they don't remember. <laughs> yeah, and she still doesn't get laid. Or Dodger. Justice for Dodger. All she wants is to roll in the hay. That's it. With Garibaldi. With anybody. I mean, let's be honest. Anything else you guys want to add? There is nothing to add about this episode. I'm excited for next week. We get a Sheridan episode that is actually interesting. We get some more shadow illusions. And he's not named in the episode, but one of my favorite characters of all Babylon 5 shows up, Taylon. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing Marshall Teague again. I, I, I love Taylon. He's so much fun. Not so much in this episode, but when he comes back, he is. I, I just love Taylon. Can't wait till we get Marshall back on and hopefully talk with some of the newbies. Yes, yes. I, I absolutely want to do that, but not yet. He's not. We no, don't have I'm, enough Taylon. Yeah, we, we don't have enough Taylon yet, but uh, I, I absolutely. Uh, Marshall is on retainer and we will get him back uh, to talk about this probably when we get Taylon on the, the station after this but yeah but also i mean we're really moving forward I, all alone in the night is also the episode where we finally find out sheridan's true intentions so mm-hmm. it will be a good conversation point for the newbies and justin will scream out righteously i was right we are going to need extra tinfoil for that boy next week and possibly even some tissue and for emily too emily is taking the charge okay so until next week when we talk about all alone in the night i have been scott and with me has been Mike. And Blake. And we will talk to you next week again. Make sure you click all the links. Thanks. I'll see you around, Michael Garibaldi. Nice butt.